chapter fourteen of the life of washington volume one by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter fourteen part two although the previous state of things was such as to render the commencement of hostilities unavoidable each party seemed anxious to throw the blame on its opponent the british officers alleged that they were fired on from a stone wall before they attacked the militia at lexington while the americans proved by numerous depositions that at lexington as well as at the bridge near concord the first fire was received by them the statement made by the americans is supported not only by the testimony adduced but by other circumstances in numbers the militia at lexington did not exceed one-ninth of the british and it is not probable that their friends would have provoked their fate while in that perilous situation by commencing a fire on an enraged soldiery it is also worthy of attention that the americans uniformly sought to cover their proceedings with the letter of the law and even after the affair at lexington made a point of receiving the first fire at the bridge beyond concord the provincial congress desirous of manifesting the necessity under which the militia had acted sent to their agents the depositions which had been taken relative to the late action with a letter to the inhabitants of great britain stating that hostilities had been commenced against them and detailing the circumstances attending that event but they did not confine themselves to addresses they immediately passed a resolution for raising thirteen thousand six hundred men in massachusetts to be commanded by general ward and called on new hampshire rhode island and connecticut for their respective quotas to complete an army of thirty thousand men for the common defence they also authorized the receiver-general to borrow one hundred thousand pounds on the credit of the colony and to issue securities for the repayment thereof bearing an interest of six per centum per annum the neighbouring colonies complied promptly with this requisition and in the meantime such numbers assembled voluntarily that many were dismissed in consequence of the defective means to subsist them in the field and the king's troops were themselves blocked up in the peninsula of boston about the same time that enterprising spirit which pervaded new england manifested itself in an expedition of considerable merit the possession of ticonderoga and crown point and the command of lakes george and champlain were objects of importance in the approaching conflict it was known that these posts were weakly defended and it was believed that the feeble garrisons remaining in them were the less to be dreaded because they thought themselves perfectly secure under these impressions some gentlemen of connecticut at the head of whom were messrs dean worcester and parsons formed the design of seizing these fortresses by surprise and borrowed a small sum of money from the legislature of the colony to enable them to carry on the expedition about forty volunteers marched from connecticut towards bennington where they expected to meet with colonel ethan allen and to engage him to conduct the enterprise and to raise an additional number of men colonel allen readily entered into their views and engaged to meet them at castleton two hundred and seventy men assembled at that place where they were joined by colonel arnold who was associated with colonel allen in the command they reached lake champlain in the night of the ninth of may ticonderoga surprised both allen and arnold embarked with the first division consisting of eighty-three men who effected a landing without being discovered and immediately marched against the fort which being completely surprised surrendered without firing a gun 
the garrison consisted of only forty-four rank and file commanded by a captain and one lieutenant crown point surrenders from ticonderoga colonel seth warren was detached to take possession of crown point which was garrisoned only by a sergeant and twelve men this service was immediately executed and the fort was taken without opposition at both these places military stores of considerable value fell into the hands of the americans the pass at skeensborough was seized about the same time by a body of volunteers from connecticut to complete the objects of the expedition it was necessary to obtain the command of the lakes which could be accomplished only by seizing a sloop of war lying at st john's this service was effected by arnold who having manned and armed a schooner found in south bay surprised the sloop and took possession of her without opposition thus by the enterprise of a few individuals without the loss of a single man the important posts of ticonderoga and crown point were acquired with the command of the lakes on which they stand meeting of congress intelligence of the capture of ticonderoga was immediately transmitted to congress then just assembled at philadelphia the resolutions passed on the occasion furnished strong evidence of the solicitude felt by that body to exonerate the government in the opinion of the people from all suspicion of provoking a continuance of the war by transcending the limits of self-defence indubitable evidence it was asserted had been received of a design for a cruel invasion of the colonies from canada for the purpose of destroying their lives and liberties and it was averred that some steps had actually been taken towards carrying this design into execution true a justifiable desire of securing themselves from so heavy a calamity was attributed the seizure of the posts on the lakes by the neighboring inhabitants and it was recommended to the committees of new york and albany to take immediate measures for the removal of the cannon and military stores to some place on the south end of lake george there to be preserved in safety an exact inventory of the stores was directed to be taken in order that they might be safely returned when the restoration of the former harmony between great britain and the colonies so ardently wished for by the latter should render it prudent and consistent with the overruling law of self-preservation measures however were adopted to maintain the posts but to quiet the apprehensions of their neighbors congress resolved that having nothing more in view than self-defense no expedition or incursion ought to be undertaken or made by any colony or body of colonists against or into canada this resolution was translated into the french language and transmitted to the people of that province in a letter in which all their feelings and particularly their known attachment to france were dexterously assailed and the effort was earnestly made to kindle in their bosoms that enthusiastic love of liberty which was felt too strongly by the authors of the letter to permit the belief that it could be inoperative with others during these transactions generals howe burgoyne and clinton arrived at boston soon after which general gage issued a proclamation declaring martial law to be in force and offering pardon to those who would lay down their arms and submit to the king with the exception of samuel adams and john hancock on receiving intelligence of the battle of lexington new york appeared to hesitate no longer in that place also the spirit which animated the colonies generally obtained the ascendancy yet the royal party remained formidable and it was thought advisable to march a body of connecticut troops into the neighborhood professedly to protect the town against some british regiments expected from ireland but really with the design of protecting the patriotic party the middle and southern colonies though not so forward as those of the north laid aside the established government and prepared for hostilities transactions in virginia 
in virginia the governor lord dunmore had just returned from a successful expedition against the indians in which he had acquired considerable popularity presuming too much on the favor of the moment and dissatisfied with some recommendations concerning the militia and independent companies made by the colonial convention which had assembled in richmond he employed the captain of an armed vessel then lying in james river a few miles from williamsburg to convey to his ship by night a part of the powder in the magazine belonging to the colony this measure though conducted with great secrecy was discovered and the people of the town assembled next morning in arms for the purpose of demanding restitution of the property which had been taken the magistrates having prevailed on them to disperse presented an address to the governor remonstrating against the removal of the powder which they alleged to be the more injurious because it was necessary for their defence in the event of an insurrection among their slaves the governor acknowledged that the powder had been removed by his order but gave assurances that he would restore it if an insurrection of the slaves should render the measure necessary unsatisfactory as this answer was no farther means were used in williamsburg for its recovery this transaction excited a strong sensation in the interior of the country meetings were held in several counties and the conduct of the governor was greatly condemned the independent companies of hanover and king william at the instance of mr patrick henry a member of congress assembled and marched for williamsburg with the avowed design of compelling restitution of the powder or of obtaining its value their march was stopped by the active interposition of mr braxton who obtained from the king's receiver-general a bill for the value of the property that had been removed with which he returned to the companies and prevailed on them to relinquish a farther prosecution of the enterprise the alarm occasioned by this movement induced lady dunmore to retire with her family on board the fowry man-of-war lying in james river whilst his lordship fortified his palace which he garrisoned with a corps of marines and published a proclamation in which he charged those who had procured the bill from the receiver-general with rebellious practices during this state of irritation lord north's conciliatory proposition was received and an assembly was suddenly called to whose consideration it was submitted the governor used all his address to procure its acceptance but in virginia as in the other colonies it was rejected because it obviously involved a surrender of the whole subject in contest one of the first measures of the assembly was to inquire into the causes of the late disturbances and particularly to examine the state of the magazine although this building belonged to the colony it was in the custody of the governor and before admittance could be obtained some persons of the neighbourhood broke into it one of whom was wounded by a spring-gun and it was found that the powder which remained had been buried and that the guns were deprived of their locks governor dunmore retires to the bowery ship of war these circumstances excited so great a ferment that the governor thought proper to withdraw to the fowry man-of-war several letters passed between him and the legislature containing reciprocal complaints of each other in the course of which they pressed his return to the seat of government while he insisted on their coming on board the fowry they were content that he should even there give his assent to some bills that were prepared but he refused so to do and the assembly dissolved itself the members being generally elected to a convention then about to meet in richmond thus terminated forever the regal government in virginia provisional congress of south carolina in south carolina so soon as intelligence of the battle of lexington was received a provincial congress was called by the committee of correspondence an association was formed the members of which pledged themselves to each other to repel force by force whenever the continental or provincial congress should determine it to be necessary and declared that they would hold all those inimical to the colonies who should refuse to subscribe it 
the congress also determined to put the town and province in a posture of defence and agreed to raise two regiments of infantry and one of rangers arrival of lord william campbell while the congress was in session lord william campbell who had been appointed governor arrived in the province and was received with those demonstrations of joy which had been usual on such occasions the congress waited on him with an address expressing the causes of their proceedings in which they declared that no love of innovation no desire of altering the constitution of government no lust of independence had the least influence on their councils but that they had been compelled to associate and take up arms solely for the preservation and in defence of their lives liberties and property they entreated his excellency to make such a representation of the state of the colony and of their true motives as to assure his majesty that he had no subjects who more sincerely desired to testify their loyalty and affection or would be more willing to devote their lives and fortunes to his real service his lordship returned a mild and prudent answer for some time lord william campbell conducted himself with such apparent moderation as to remain on good terms with the leaders of the opposition but he was secretly exerting all the influence of his station to defeat their views and was at length detected in carrying on negotiations with the indians and with the disaffected in the interior these people had been induced to believe that the inhabitants of the sea-coast in order to exempt their tea from a trifling tax were about to engage them in a contest which would deprive them of their salt osnabergs and other imported articles of absolute necessity the detection of these intrigues excited such a ferment that the governor was compelled to fly from charleston and to take refuge on board a ship of war in the river the government was then as elsewhere taken entirely into the hands of men chosen by the people and a body of provincial troops was ordered into that part of the country which adhered to the royal cause where many individuals contrary to the advice of governor campbell had risen in arms the leaders were seized and their followers dispersed in north carolina also governor martin was charged with fomenting a civil war and exciting an insurrection among the negroes relying on the aid he expected from the disaffected especially from some highland emigrants he made preparations for the defence of his palace but the people taking the alarm before his troops were raised he was compelled to seek safety on board a sloop of war in cape fear river soon after which the committee resolved that no person or persons whatsoever should have any correspondence with him on pain of being deemed enemies of the liberties of america and dealt with accordingly as soon as congress was organized mr hancock laid before that body the depositions showing that in the battle of lexington the king's troops were the aggressors together with the proceedings of the provincial congress of massachusetts on that subject the affairs of america were now arrived at a crisis to which they had been for some time rapidly tending and it had become necessary for the delegates of the other provinces finally to determine either to embark with new england in war or by separating from her to surrender the object for which they had jointly contended and submit to that unlimited supremacy which was claimed by parliament even among the well-informed the opinion that the contest would ultimately be determined by the sword had not become general the hope had been indulged by many of the popular leaders that the union of the colonies the extent and serious aspect of the opposition and the distress which their non-importation agreements would produce among the merchants and manufacturers of the parent state would induce administration to recede from its high pretensions and restore harmony and free intercourse this opinion had derived strength from the communications made them by their zealous friends in england the divisions and discontents of the country had been represented as much greater than the fact would justify and the exhortations transmitted to them to persevere 
in the honourable course which had been commenced with so much glory had generally been accompanied with assurances that success would yet crown their patriotic labours many had engaged with zeal in the resistance made by america and had acted on a full conviction of the correctness of the principles for which they contended who would have felt some reluctance in supporting the measures which had been adopted had they believed that those measures would produce war but each party counted too much on the divisions of the other and each seems to have taken step after step in the hope that its adversary would yield the point in contest without resorting to open force thus on both sides the public feeling had been gradually conducted to a point which would in the first instance have been viewed with horror and had been prepared for events which in the beginning of the controversy would have alarmed the most intrepid the prevailing sentiment in the middle and southern colonies still was that a reconciliation on the terms proposed by america was not even yet impracticable and was devoutly to be wished but that war was to be preferred to a surrender of those rights for which they had contended and to which they believed every british subject wherever placed to be unquestionably entitled they did not hesitate therefore which part of the alternative to embrace and their delegates united cordially with those of the north in such measures as the exigency required the resolution was unanimous that as hostilities had actually commenced and as large reinforcements to the british army were expected these colonies should be immediately put in a state of defence and the militia of new york be armed and trained and kept in readiness to act at a moment's warning congress also determined to embody a number of men without delay for the protection of the inhabitants of that place but did not authorize opposition to the landing of any troops which might be ordered to that station by the crown the convention of new york had already consulted congress on this subject and had been advised to permit the soldiers to take possession of the barracks and to remain there so long as they conducted themselves peaceably but if they should commit hostilities or invade private property to repel force by force thus anxious was congress even after a battle had been fought not to widen the breach between the two countries in addition to the real wish for reconciliation sound policy directed that the people of america should engage in the arduous conflict which was approaching with a perfect conviction that it was forced upon them and not invited by the intemperate conduct of their leaders the divisions existing in several of the states suggested the propriety of this conduct even to those who despaired of deriving any other benefit from it than a greater degree of union among their own countrymen in this spirit congress mingled with the resolutions for putting the country in a state of defence others expressing the most earnest wish for reconciliation with the mother country to effect which that body determined to address once more an humble and dutiful petition to the king and to adopt measures for opening a negotiation in order to accommodate the unhappy disputes subsisting between great britain and the colonies as no great confidence could be placed in the success of pacific propositions the resolution for putting the country in a state of defence was accompanied with others rendered necessary by that undetermined state between war and peace in which america was placed all exports to those colonies which had not deputed members to congress were stopped and all supplies of provisions and other necessaries to the british fisheries or to the army or navy in massachusetts bay or to any vessels employed in transporting british troops to america or from one colony to another were prohibited though this resolution was only an extension of the system of commercial resistance which had been adopted before the commencement of hostilities and was evidently provoked by the late act of parliament it seems to have been entirely unexpected and certainly produced great distress massachusetts having stated the embarrassments resulting from being without a regular government at a time when an army was to be raised to defend themselves against the butcheries and devastations 
of their implacable enemies and having declared a readiness to conform to such general plan as congress might recommend to the colonies it was resolved that no obedience is due to the act of parliament for altering the charter of that colony nor to officers who instead of observing that charter seek its subversion the governor and lieutenant-governor therefore were to be considered as absent and their offices vacant to avoid the intolerable inconveniences arising from a total suspension of government especially at a time when general gage had actually levied war and was carrying on hostilities against his majesty's peaceable and loyal subjects in that colony it was recommended to the convention to write letters to the inhabitants of the several places which are entitled to representation in the assembly requesting them to choose such representatives and that such assembly or council exercise the powers of government until a governor of his majesty's appointment will consent to govern the colony according to its charter these resolutions were quickly followed by others of greater vigor denoting more decidedly a determination to prepare for the last resort of nations it was earnestly recommended to the conventions of all the colonies to provide the means of making gunpowder and to obtain the largest possible supplies of ammunition even the non-importation agreement was relaxed in favor of vessels importing these precious materials the conventions were also urged to arm and discipline the militia and so to class them that one fourth should be minute-men they were also requested to raise several regular corps for the service of the continent and a general resolution was entered into authorizing any province thinking itself in danger to raise a body of regulars not exceeding one thousand men to be paid by the united colonies congress also proceeded to organize the higher departments of the army of which colonel george washington of virginia was appointed commander-in-chief bills of credit to the amount of three millions of dollars were emitted for the purpose of defraying the expenses of the war and the faith of the twelve confederated colonies was pledged for their redemption articles of war for the government of the continental army were formed though the troops were raised under the authority of the respective colonies without even a requisition from congress except in a few instances manifesto of congress a solemn dignified declaration in form of a manifesto was prepared to be published to the army in orders and to the people from the pulpit after detailing the causes of their opposition to the mother country with all the energy of men feeling the injuries of which they complained the manifesto exclaims but why should we enumerate our injuries in detail by one statute it is declared that parliament can of right make laws to bind us in all cases whatsoever what is to defend us against so enormous so unlimited power not a single man to those who assume it is chosen by us or is subject to our control or influence but on the contrary they are all of them exempt from the operation of such laws and an american revenue if not diverted from the ostensible purposes for which it is raised would actually lighten their own burdens in proportion as they increase ours we saw the misery to which such despotism would reduce us we for ten years incessantly and ineffectually besieged the throne as supplicants we reasoned we remonstrated with parliament in the most mild and decent language the manifesto next enumerates the measures adopted by administration to enforce the claims of great britain and then adds we are reduced to the alternative of choosing an unconstitutional submission to the tyranny of irritated ministers or resistance by force the latter is our choice we have counted the cost of this contest and find nothing so dreadful as voluntary slavery honor justice and humanity forbid us tamely to surrender that freedom which we receive from our gallant ancestors and which our innocent posterity have a right to receive from us we cannot endure the infamy and guilt of resigning succeeding generations 
to that wretchedness which inevitably awaits them if we basely entail hereditary bondage upon them our cause is just our union is perfect our internal resources are great and if necessary foreign assistance is undoubtedly attainable we gratefully acknowledge as signal instances of the divine favour towards us that his providence would not permit us to be called into this severe controversy until we were grown up to our present strength had been previously exercised in warlike operation and possessed of the means of defending ourselves with hearts fortified with these animating reflections we most solemnly before god and the world declare that exerting the utmost energy of those powers which our beneficent creator hath graciously bestowed upon us the arms we have been compelled by our enemies to assume we will in defiance of every hazard with unabating firmness and perseverance employ for the preservation of our liberties being with one mind resolved to die free men rather than to live slaves lest this declaration should disquiet the minds of our friends and fellow-subjects in any part of the empire we assure them that we mean not to dissolve that union which has so long and so happily subsisted between us and which we sincerely wish to see restored necessity has not yet driven us to that desperate measure or induced us to excite any other nation to war against them we have not raised armies with ambitious designs of separating from great britain and establishing independent states we fight not for glory or for conquest we exhibit to mankind the remarkable spectacle of a people attacked by unprovoked enemies without any imputation or even suspicion of offence they boast of their privileges and civilization and yet proffer no milder conditions than servitude or death in our own native land in defence of the freedom that is our birthright and which we ever enjoyed until the late violation of it for the protection of our property acquired solely by the honest industry of our forefathers and ourselves against violence actually offered we have taken up arms we shall lay them down when hostility shall cease on the part of the aggressors and all danger of their being renewed shall be removed and not before some intelligence respecting the movements of the british army having excited a suspicion that general gage intended to penetrate into the country the provincial congress recommended it to the council of war to take measures for the defence of dorchester neck and to occupy bunker's hill a commanding piece of ground just within the peninsula on which charles town stands in observance of these instructions a detachment of one thousand men commanded by colonel prescott was ordered to take possession of this ground but by some mistake breed's hill situate nearer to boston was marked out instead of bunker's hill for the proposed entrenchments the party sent on this service worked with so much diligence and secrecy that by the dawn of day they had thrown up a small square redoubt without alarming some ships of war which lay in the river at no great distance as soon as the returning light discovered this work to the ships a heavy cannonade was commenced upon it which the provincial sustained with firmness they continued to labour until they had thrown up a small breastwork stretching from the east side of the redoubt to the bottom of the hill so as to extend considerably their line of defence as this eminence overlooked boston general gage determined to drive the provincials from it and for this purpose detached major-general howe and brigadier-general pigott at the head of ten companies of grenadiers and the same number of light infantry with a proper proportion of field artillery these troops landed at morton's point but perceiving that the americans waited for them with firmness they remained on their ground until the arrival of a reinforcement from boston for which general howe had applied during this interval the americans also were reinforced by a detachment under the command of generals warren and pomeroy and they availed themselves of this delay to strengthen their defences with some adjoining posts and rails which they pulled up and arranged in two parallel lines at a small distance from each other filling the space between with hay 
so as to form a complete cover from the musketry of the assailants the british troops on being joined by their second detachment advanced slowly in two lines under cover of a heavy discharge of cannon and howitzers frequently halting in order to allow their artillery time to demolish the works while they were advancing orders were given to set fire to charlestown a handsome village which flanked their line of march and which was soon consumed it is not easy to conceive a spectacle more grand and more awful than was now exhibited nor a moment of more anxious expectation the scene of action was in full view of the heights of boston and of its neighborhood which were covered with spectators taking deep and opposite interest in the events passing before them the soldiers of the hostile armies not on duty the citizens of boston and the inhabitants of the adjacent country all feeling emotions which set description at defiance were witness of the majestic and tremendous scene battle of breed's hill the provincials permitted the english to approach unmolested within less than one hundred yards of the works and then poured in upon them so deadly a fire that their line was broken and they fell back with precipitation towards the landing-place by the great exertions of their officers they were rallied and brought up to the charge but were again driven back in confusion by the heavy and incessant fire from the works general howe is said to have been left at one time almost alone and it is certain that few officers about his person escaped unhurt the impression to be made by victory or defeat in this early stage of the war was deemed so important that extraordinary exertions were used once more to rally the english with difficulty they were led a third time to the works the redoubt was attacked on three sides while some pieces of artillery raked the breastwork from end to end at the same time a cross-fire from the ships and floating batteries lying on both sides of the isthmus by which the peninsula is connected with the continent not only annoyed the works on breed's hill but deterred any considerable reinforcements from entering the peninsula the ammunition of the americans being nearly exhausted they were no longer able to keep up the same incessant stream of fire which had twice repulsed the assailants and the redoubt which the english mounted with ease was carried at the point of the bayonet yet the americans many of whom were without bayonets are said to have maintained the contest with clubbed muskets until the redoubt was half filled with the king's troops the redoubt being lost the breastwork was abandoned and the hazardous movement was accomplished of retreating in the face of a victorious enemy over charlestown neck exposed to the same cross-fire which had deterred the reinforcements from coming to their assistance the detachment employed on this enterprise consisted of about three thousand men composing the flower of the british army and high encomiums were bestowed on the resolution they displayed according to the returns their killed and wounded amounted to one thousand and fifty-four an immense proportion of the number engaged in the action notwithstanding the danger of the retreat over charlestown neck the loss of the americans was stated at only four hundred and fifty men among the killed was dr warren a gentleman greatly beloved and regretted who fell just after the provincials began their retreat from the breastwork at the time the colonial force on the peninsula was generally stated at fifteen hundred men it has been since estimated at four thousand although the americans lost the ground they claimed the victory many of the advantages of victory were certainly gained their confidence in themselves was greatly increased and it was asked universally how many more such triumphs the invaders of their country could afford the british army had been treated too roughly to attempt farther offensive operations they contented themselves with seizing and fortifying bunker's hill which secured the peninsula of charlestown in which however they remained as closely blockaded as in that of boston the americans were much elated by the intrepidity the raw troops had displayed and the execution they had done in this engagement they fondly cherished the belief that courage and dexterity in the use of firearms would bestow advantages amply compensating the want of discipline unfortunately for the colonies this course of thinking was not confined to the mass of the people 
it seems to have extended to those who guided the public councils and to have contributed to the adoption of a system which more than once brought their cause to the brink of ruin they did not distinguish sufficiently between the momentary efforts of a few brave men brought together by a high sense of the injuries which threatened their country and carried into action under the influence of keen resentments and those steady persevering exertions under continued suffering which must be necessary to bring an important war to a happy termination nor did they examine with sufficient accuracy several striking circumstances attending the battle which had been fought it is not easy to read the accounts given of the action without being persuaded that had the americans on breed's hill been supplied with ammunition and then properly supported had the reinforcements ordered to their assistance entered the peninsula as soldiers in habits of obedience would have done and there displayed the heroic courage which was exhibited by their countrymen engaged in defence of the works the assailants must have been defeated and the flower of the british army cut to pieces it ought also to have been remarked that while the few who were endowed with more than a common portion of bravery encountered the danger of executing the orders they had received the many were deterred by the magnitude of that danger but it is not by the few that great victories are to be gained or a country to be saved amidst these hostile operations the voice of peace was yet heard allegiance to the king was still acknowledged and a lingering hope remained that an accommodation was not impossible congress voted a petition to his majesty replete with professions of duty and attachment and addressed a letter to the people of england conjuring them by the endearing appellations of friends countrymen and brethren to prevent the dissolution of that connection which the remembrance of former friendships pride in the glorious achievements of common ancestors and affection for the heirs of their virtues had heretofore maintained they uniformly disclaimed any idea of independence and professed themselves to consider union with england on constitutional principles as the greatest blessing which could be bestowed on them but britain had determined to maintain by force the legislative supremacy of parliament and america was equally determined by force to repel the claim End of chapter fourteen part two end of the life of washington volume one by john marshall